Um, if you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Nehemiah this morning. And uh, we're going to be just kind of really just kicking off a new sermon series today uh, there in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, and so we're going to Nehemiah chapter one and we're going to begin looking at verse one in just a moment, just a little bit. I want to begin by asking the question, if you bear with me in the time that we have today, but I want to begin by asking a question that's really kind of, it might be a little bit shocking, uh, but have you ever seen something that's dead? You know, not to be gross, but I mean something that had life at one time and then it, it does not have life any longer. Uh, we were out hiking the, a few Saturdays ago with some people from the church here, my wife and I, and we came across a dead coyote. Now, ladies, bear with me, but this coyote was dead. I mean, this thing, it was flattened out, is on the trail there. I mean, it was like a, a piece of cardboard. You know, I bumped it with the toe of my boot, and it just kind of, you know, I mean, it was stiff, obviously. And, and so it was kind of a little melancholy as we look at this animal that's there on the trail. I mean, this animal that had life, and now it does not have life. And, and, you know, that affects us that way when we see something that's dead. Maybe it's something as simple as the grand old tree in the back of grandma's house. And this tree was grand. You remember playing it as a kid. And then now disease has got it. And, and so the tree is no longer alive. The tree that had life is now dead. Or maybe it might be as deep and as emotional as somebody that you love. And you know that they were alive and thriving. And now they are with the Lord and they have passed. And the emotion, the emotion is very deep. I, I come to the, the book of Nehemiah here, and here in this scripture, you know, it, it, it's similar. I mean, there's these kind of emotions because there was something that was alive and something that was vivacious. And they, they are remembering a time. In fact, it's Nehemiah that is remembering. And it's not the kind of memory that is nostalgia. It's not just warm feelings. But it is the kind of memory that involves significance. The kind that involves significance. My wife and I, um, the week after we were married, uh, we had come home from our honeymoon. We went to Hawaii for a honeymoon, and then we visited my folks and her folks. Then we took off. And about a week after we were married there in Nampa, Idaho, well, Idaho Falls, actually, the ceremony was in Idaho Falls. But about a week after, we took off, and we began to travel towards Kansas City to go to seminary. And we stopped in Salt Lake City. There's an amusement park. We were just kids at the time, obviously very young. And so we went to the amusement park. And while we're at the amusement park, we went into one of those places where you get the, you know, get an old timey picture done. You know what I'm talking about? My wife put on like a saloon gal dress. And I had a cowboy hat and I had some six shooters. I mean, that old timey shot and I'm laying in the bathtub and she's sitting on there. I mean, it was terrible. But anyway, we had fun with this old timey picture. And so we got the picture and we're just been married for a week. And, and it's just this black and white picture and we have it framed and it's hung in every master bedroom that we've ever had. Well, in moving to California, folks, we lost our picture. And I can't tell you, we've talked about it 15 times, we may have 50 times. Doggone it, I wish we had that picture. Man, we lost our picture. I mean, because, you see, the picture had significance. Well, the other day, a week ago, I was digging through a box working on a project, and guess what? I found the picture. Woo! I found the picture, and, and I dusted it off, and I was so excited. Heidi was at work. It was my day off, and so I went upstairs, and there in the master bedroom above Heidi's dresser. We haven't put the mirror up, but, but she has her jewelry box sitting on the dresser, and her dresser's here. And so I got a nail, 
I put a nail on the wall and I hung the picture up. And I couldn't wait for Heidi to get home. And, and Heidi finally came home. And then I'm, I'm kind of just kind of following her around like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, and she's eyeballing me like, why is this guy stalking me? And finally she notices the picture. And she says, oh, honey, you found the picture. Because the picture has significance. We'd been married just a week and we'd referred to it so many times. Oh, that was a good week. It had significance and it's the same kind of similar memory that Nehemiah is, is referring to when he's remembering the significance that God had brought into the lives of his people. Some of the facts, I mean, in the element of, of this passage, the book here is, you remember Artaxerxes was, was the Persian king at the time, and, and this was the result of Babylonian captivity that had ended about 75 years before, and Artaxerxes was about in his 20th year of, of, of rule, and, and, and Nehemiah, of course, part of the remnant that was left there, and was now serving as a cupbearer to the king, and then a guy shows up, and he he, he tells Nehemiah about all the destruction and the chaos that was afoot in Jerusalem. He talks about the wall that was broken down and the gates that were burned. And to fast forward, we're going to go to chapter 2, but we're going to read in chapter 1. That's where our text is, but right now in chapter 2, he, he, he gets permission from Artaxerxes to go to back to his homeland. In fact, he gets letters of passage that allows him to make the trip safely. And he arrives there in the homeland. And then he does a very curious thing. What he does is he takes a trip around the city at nighttime. And perhaps he's on a horse and others with him are walking, the scripture says. And perhaps he does it at night because he does not want to alert the enemies. Because there were generals and there were enemies that were oppressing God's people. And that's why the walls were knocked down and the gates were burned. So perhaps he didn't want to alert the enemies or perhaps maybe he was emotional and he wanted to make the ride at nighttime so no one could see his emotion. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating, but he makes the ride at night. And it's interesting as we read the text then that he begins to journal about the walls. He begins a journal about the gates and he, he names the gates and he talks about the gates. And do you know what he's doing as he's surrounding, as he circles the city? Do you know what he's doing as he names the gates and he's journaling about these gates? Ladies and gentlemen, he is remembering. He is remembering the gates because you see the walls, you can't pass through the walls. You pass through the gates and he's remembering that God's people had passed through the gates and what had passed through the gates was life itself. He was remembering about the life of the city, the life that God brought to them, significance that God brought into their lives. And he was remembering how it was. And it was moving his heart. The gates represented that. It represented all of that past memory and all of that purpose and how life had happened. He was remembering. He was remembering. I want you to think of that as we look at Nehemiah chapter 1, looking at verse 1 through 11. Let's read that together, or just follow along as I read God's word. Be patient, it's a long text. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And I don't know about you, but I, I begin to get an image that 
you know, that forms in my mind just a little bit as I I think about the reality, the physical reality that the wall had been broken down, that the gates had been burned. And and then the story just kind of begins to come to life in my mind, in my heart, as I read in verse four. Look at verse four. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, and this is his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember this instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon, at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the, the beginning, the beginning process of, of remembering. And, of course, Nehemiah, that, that's, that's what's happening here. But maybe that's what needs to happen here. That there's some memories that maybe we need to, to stir up. That there's something that is significant that maybe is... You know, it's been a part of our past or something that that you have spoken to us about, Lord, that you're reminding us of. And so, Father, I pray that you just use the word this morning. I pray that as we begin to walk through the next few weeks, that there would be something that would be born in us that, Lord, needs to be born and something that comes alive that, that has been dead. And I pray, Lord, that in that, that you will be glorified as you renew us. As you freshen our relationship with you and our walk with you. And I pray that you'll be glorified in it. So we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. So it's interesting or really significant that what Nehemiah decides is he decides to serve the Lord. Listen to this. He decides to serve the Lord by helping his people. I, th- I think that's significant. I mean, especially in the process of this remembering. And, and remembering is a process, and I have a few thoughts on that, because you really the text, it, it really gives it to us. It, it lays out the message for us. And, you know, a good message is not one that the pastor comes up with. Really, it's the one that's already there in the text. It's the one that's already being laid out because God has provided it in his word. And, and, and the first thing is we recognize that remembering may seem impossible. How many agree with that? Remembering may seem impossible. In fact, in the passage here, we read of Sanballat, one of 
the enemies that had been oppressing the people. And he he mentions the ridiculousness of of Nehemiah's quest, you know, to rebuild the walls and restore the gates. And he and he says it like this. Here's a quote. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And so the opposition would make this practically impossible. I mean, the idea that the people would gather together and the people would, would begin to work together. I mean, how would this, this happen? I mean, with this tremendous opposition and the generals that were present and the oppression that had been happening and the abuse that the people were under. I mean, how is this going to happen? How are we going to get everybody on the same page? I mean, the impossibility of, of imagining that the wall could really actually be rebuilt. I mean, the only way that could happen would be the people would come together and some people would be assigned to this section and some people would be assigned to this section and, and another family would work on this gate and another family would work on this gate. I mean, how in the impossibility of it all are they going to get on one page? How is Nehemiah going to stir them so deeply? God is going to move them so deeply that they come together and they are on one page, what we'd call it this day and age, we'd call it synergy. How are they going to experience the synergy of the power of God when they all come together and they're all working together, church, and they're all working for one goal and one cause for the glory of his kingdom? It might be a painful process. I mean, for Nehemiah, I mean, look at the passage for a moment. For Nehemiah, it could have been a sticking point. But rather than get stuck, what happens? Nehemiah, he stands up. He, he moves into prayer and fasting. It's interesting that we read that here again. The message is already laid out for us. He moves into prayer and fasting. He begins to call upon the, the power and the name of God. Isn't it interesting that we are in the midst of prayer and fasting as a church this month? Because he moves into prayer and fasting if they are to find themselves on the same page and working together and experiencing what we are saying is synergy. It's interesting it begins with prayer and fasting. Maybe maybe spiritually you're stuck. Maybe you see no way out and you're overwhelmed with the prospects. Maybe it's possible that your walls of life or your walls of security, maybe the walls of finances are broken down and and you're saying there's I, I just pastor I, I can't see it working out. Well, Nehemiah, I mean, if that's the way you feel in life, then Nehemiah is your guide because he stands up for the memory of what God's people stood for. He stands up and he asks for the impossible. And you imagine Nehemiah approaching the king. I mean, you know, again, a remnant from the exile or the captivity. And you can imagine approaching the king. You know, maybe you'd say, well, remember, Nehemiah, you're a prisoner. I mean, I know that's in the past, but yeah, you know, still, I mean, there was some fear, I imagine, in Nehemiah as he approaches the king. But he boldly does that. He stands up and he asks for the impossible. And maybe today, maybe that is the invitation, you know, by the Holy Spirit is that you're going to stand up and ask for the impossible. You're going to go and you're going to approach the throne of Of God, and you're going to say, Father, I need a miracle. I need the impossible to happen in my family. I need the impossible to happen in that child because we know what's going on in that child's life. And we're wondering if, you know, there's ever going to be a breakthrough. Maybe it's this morning, ladies and gentlemen, as we end the service and and the Holy Spirit is moving us that you're saying, God, I need the impossible in my life. I I don't know what's on your heart this morning, but maybe that's a part of it. Maybe it's, it's, it's the moment when the tide turns, so to speak, 
I mean, there's a lot of power in that, you know, when the tide turns. It's when the tide turns. So remembering may seem impossible. The second thing that is already here is remembering is the way forward. Think about that. Remembering is the way forward. And Nehemiah's prayer includes, he, he says this, I quote the prayer, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my family's, my father's family, have committed against you. And so, you see, that's when the renewal process begins. The renewal process, the tide turning thing is happening when he's confessing the sins, the sins of the nation, the sins of his family, his father's family. Which means, are you ready? Which means overcoming the past. It means overcoming the past. God is a loving father and he's merciful in all his ways. And and God is the God that forgives sin. Amen. But unconfessed sin, unconfronted sin is to the soul what cancer is to the body. And renewal comes by the waves of forgiveness from God as we receive his forgiveness and those waves hit us. It's also the waves of forgiveness that we give to others and we we pour on upon others or maybe the wave of forgiveness that we we need to receive from somebody else as they are forgiving us. I mean, this is the process of renewal and maybe that's the process of renewal that we need in our life. And and maybe it's renewal for Mission Church of the Nazarene or maybe it's renewal for our family Maybe it's if it's renewal, then I believe that beginning process is confession. And we confess our sin. This means remember, remember the destruction. Look at verse three. There's destruction. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down and destruction often follows sin. Destruction is 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 the byproduct of sin. And I know I'm I'm kind of blending and folding the narratives But the truth is still there. More sin means more destruction. You keep doing the same thing. You keep getting the same results. And ultimately, when there's sin and you continue with sin, then you're in exile. You become in exile because sin separates us from God. It's the great chasm between God and man. And in that chasm, it's not God's willingness. I mean, God is willing. He is willing that none should perish. But sin creates a chasm between us and God. And the only way that that bridge is made, the only way we reach God, you see, of course, is through his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, God is willing. Amen. And the chasm of sin is not impossible. Now, there's somebody in the sanctuary this morning that needs to hear that. I believe that you need to hear this, that the chasm of sin is not impossible. That God can bridge that chasm And he believes that so much that God became flesh and he dwelt among us and he died on the cross that we might have everlasting life. You see, God is willing that none should perish. And I don't know where you're at in life, but I know this, that God loves you and he wants to build that bridge between he and you and that sin that is in your life. And he wants to deal with that sin. And and maybe, you know, for some of us today, it's confessing sin is the way forward. And I know this is this is heavy stuff. But isn't scripture heavy stuff? I mean, if we are really staying true to the scripture, it's heavy stuff. And, and sin, you know, confessing sin is the way forward. So so remembering is sometimes seemingly impossible. And and, and remembering is certainly the way forward. And then the text also shows us that remember, remembering is the way to renewal. 
Nehemiah gives direction and renewal. And in fact, verse eight, you know, we look at verse eight. He prays that we may remember God's instruction, which is interesting. I mean, bear with me here because I always go back to my immediate role as pastor here because instruction is discipleship and seek, you know, seek, serve and reach. That's our mission. Seek, serve and reach. And seek is the discipleship part of our mission. It's discipleship. It's being a disciple and being discipled. And it's interesting, the passage here, looking at verse 8, is that we might receive instruction from God. That's the discipleship part of the mission. And discipleship is where we learn about being faithful. And I propose that it's becoming a lost art in the church. Ouch. I, I, I propose that instruction is becoming a lost art in the church. Because we're no longer instructing, we're no longer, we're always trying to do something that's palatable and is, you know, easily received and that's comfortable rather than giving instruction. The word of God gives us instruction. Does anybody, does anybody agree with me this morning? Like the instruction that the way that we maintain our spiritual walk is we have devotions. We have devotions together as a family. I loved what the general superintendent at District Assembly, he was talking about prayer time at mealtime with his parents. And I had to laugh because that's exactly how I grew up. And my parents wanted to pray at mealtime. And like the food is there and it's steaming. It's hot. It's on the table. And my dad gets emotional and starts praying for 30 minutes. Dad, I want to eat. Or, or, or he'll, he'll, they'll decide. My folks were not good at routine, and so everything was crazy all the time. And, and um, they will decide to have devotions right when I'm getting ready to leave to go stay the night with my best friend. Or getting ready to go to the circus or somewhere really cool. And mom and dad decide to have devotions right then. And so we stop and we have devotions, and then they get all emotional and spiritual. You know? And I remember being so frustrated about the fact they were forcing us to have devotions. And we're so afraid to give instruction. But, man, I, I said to myself, you know, I'm scratching my head. I, I, you know, I, I, we're not going to do that. We, wanna, we want to hear the word. We want to receive instruction. Amen. And the way that we help our family be healthy spiritually is, is moms and dads, grandparents. We have devotions. We have devotions together, and I'm not, say, monitoring daily, but I mean, as the Holy Spirit leads us, and it's, it's appropriate, and it's timed, and whenever the Holy Spirit leads you, and all, but we have devotions. It's an important part. Or, or how about the instruction of tithing? We're so scared to offend somebody talking about tithing as if it's, it's taboo. Folks, God has called us to tithe. In fact, he challenges us to tithe, and he says, you know, test me in this. See not if I throw open the gates of heaven, and I'll bless you so much, you'll not have room to store it. Folks, we need to teach tithing. Moms and dads, parents, we need to teach tithing. You say, well, how do you teach tithing? Well, the way my mom and dad did it is they said, son, you need to give 10% of that allowance to the church. You need to tithe on that 10% allowance. When I was 16 years of age and I made money, my dad said, are you going to tithe on that this Sunday? That means there's an accountability. What gets looked at gets done. And mom and dad held me accountable to make sure that I was tithing. And we're forgetting the art of instruction and teaching in regards to how to live the, the Christian life. And, and it's okay if we're teaching our children and, yes, making them tithe. Amen. And God will glorify that as they are learning what it means to live a Christian life. This is how he says it. And bear with me. I, I just have a few more minutes. Bear with me. 
He says, return to me. This is the prayer, part of the prayer. He says, return to me. I'm quoting there. Return to me. That's a big part of the prayer. And he says, then God says he will gather his people. And certainly this was about a nation at that time and their circumstances. I know that. But notice in verse nine, the people are returning to a place that is a dwelling for his name. That is a dwelling for his name. I want to ask you a question today. Does that describe your home? Does that describe your home? That, that the home is a dwelling for his name and that it's in your home that God has this place and he's living and he's existing in your home space because you're giving spiritual and Christian instruction and because you're talking about the things of God and you're creating a holy space so that God might dwell and your home is a dwelling place of the name of God. I was thinking about my own life, Heidi. And I think I've dropped the ball on some things. I'm sorry. Things that have allowed us to watch or see. That's not a dwelling place of God. If God's going to renew us, we have to be open to what he's saying to us. And renewal happens when our home becomes a dwelling place of God. In verse 10, it says then, then the result is that he redeems those who become the dwelling place of his name. He redeems those that become the dwelling place of his name. Amen. So, so Nehemiah begins the process of renewal by remembering. <laughs> by remembering. I remember when I was a boy, I used to go to the gold mine with my, my father, my dad. His name is Norm. Dad had a gold mine. And uh, he had heard a story from a guy on his deathbed, actually, true story. And, uh, and so um, he, uh, he went to the courthouse. I was with my father. And he went to the courthouse. And he had these longitude-latitude coordinates and, and four corners of this space. And, and he filed in the courthouse. So he had mineral rights and... And I remember driving up Dooley Mountain out of Baker City, Oregon, and it's like an hour of hairpin curves and up over the mountain and down into this canyon where there's the burnt river rushing whitewater rainbow trout type river. And then we find this niche of a canyon and we drive up in this niche of a canyon that's maybe no wider than that wall back there and that wall there and these huge escarpments of mountains. And over here there was this gigantic rocks of all quartz. And there was white quartz and serpentine quartz. And I remember at a different place there was literally stones of onyx laying on the ground. All kinds of gems out in the open. Perfect, perfect detail for, for gold. Dad, I helped him get up on the mountain and stake out the four corners. And later he got a permit and he had some dynamite and he dynamited rocks. We had a blast. I'll never, I'll never forget the canyon, though. As we go into the canyon, there's the old, old dirt road and these gigantic escarpments of quartz and the mountain and, and where we think the, the mine was. And later on, as we blew some open, we did find an old shaft. And, but I'll never forget those days as we came to the canyon that was filled with, with, with wild strawberries. And the wild strawberries are really tiny. 
wild strawberries and long grass and a little bubbling brook in the center. And, and it was so rich and green that along the brook there was thick moss, floating kind of moss along the stream. There was an old miner's cabin over here, and it was only about maybe one-third existing because the other two-thirds had kind of fallen in, this old wood. It was, it was collapsed, an old miner's cabin. I remember hunting around as a little kid around the cabin and getting my feet wet. And then as I'd get bored, well, he would bring a wheelbarrow, and we had pans, gold pans, and we'd take you know a load in the wheelbarrow down to the brook, and we would pan for gold. I know how to pan for gold. A pan for gold and dad would pan. I'd, I'd get bored, you know, after about 15 minutes. And so I'd go, I'm going fishing and get to the truck and get my pole. And I'd walk about a quarter mile down that narrow canyon to the Burnt River, the white water rapid river. And I'd catch trout. Pretty soon dad would come down and sit beside me. Those are formative times. I asked probably... I didn't know it, but probably the hard questions. I, I made big decisions those, those Saturdays that I spent with my dad. Those moments, that memory, is significant. And it's significant because, and it's important to me and in my heart, because i got to spend time with my father. And we come to this passage, and Nehemiah was bringing God's people back to a place of significance, a place of renewal. And he was showing them who, and helping them remember who God is and who they were in God. Significance. Significance. And maybe renewal is that for us, church. That we are being brought to a place that, that we can experience true renewal by remembering the significance of who God is and who God is to you. I, I cannot help but finish this by saying, church, let's, we, we have to pray right now. We have to pray, and we're going to come to this altar. And, and in fact, if it's just coming standing at the front or standing around the altar or whatever, I, I just want to, I want to give you a chance to drive a stake in the ground and to say this is a significant moment. No one's going to ask you. It's private. It's between you and Jesus. But, folks, I want to invite us to pray for spiritual renewal in our families, in our lives, in our heart today, that God would do something that only God could do. Amen. And so let's stand together, and let's stand. And I want to invite you to come. Come right now as the Holy Spirit leads you. Come and just stand at the altar or stand at the front if the Holy Spirit leads you. And you're saying, this is a moment. It's significance. It's this moment that God's going to bring renewal in my heart. And you know what it is. I want to invite you. Maybe it's unconfessed sin that's gotten between you and God. Man, let's not be coy about this. Let's not play games anymore. Bring your sin to Jesus Christ and say, God, I want to be rid of it. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a, just a reminder of who God is and who he is to you in your life, in your family. And folks, it's the key of renewal, what God is saying and doing right now in your heart. I believe it's a key of renewal this month as we are praying and fasting and saying, God, we are seeking your face. God, we are seeking your face. And Lord, I want to remember who you are, what you've done for me, and what it means to be a Christian, and what it means to live Christianly, so that you are glorified in this place, in this moment, in our lives, in our hearts, 
I'm not even going to look around to see who's standing, to see who's responding, because it's between you and Jesus. Precious Father in heaven, we come right now and just keep coming. If the Holy Spirit moves you and you're a little shy, just say, Lord, I need a moment of significance right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for just hearing her voice. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the call that you put upon her life this morning. And, and that, Lord, in this memory, as Nehemiah was helping your people to remember the significance of your presence in their lives, that, Father in heaven, that as a church, that we would be reminded of, of significance this morning, of who you are, that we're just spending time in your presence, and we want to hear your voice, and we want to be your people, and we want to do your thing, not our thing. For some of us, it might be a confession of sin right now, and it's between them and you. It might be a man right now that's struggling with the sin. It's private, but they bring it to you right now. It might be just an attitude, spirit, that we're just struggling with, and I need to bring it to you right now, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for making life significant. Thank you, Father, for reminding us, like Nehemiah did your people, that, Lord, the best part and the best time of life is when you are in the center of it. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, that you would just come full center right now in the middle of that one person's life, that individual right now, that that wife or that grandmother, that grandfather, that that husband right now that is saying, Jesus, I'm coming back to this place, this place of significance, Father, that you'll be glorified And that you'll be lifted up as our king. And we will remember who you are and what you've done. And so, Lord Jesus, we just worship you today. And we honor you. We ask, Father, that you would establish that significance in us. We ask all these things. In Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.